Chapter 11 of Man and His Ancestor, A Study in Evolution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tom Mack, Tucson, Arizona. Man and His Ancestor, A Study in Evolution by Charles Morris. Chapter 11. Warfare and Civilization. Long before the second phase of the evolution of man had been completed, the third phase had begun, that of the conflict of man with man. The animal kingdom once subdued, and nature made man's friend and servant, the human race increased and multiplied until the borders of communities met and hostile relations arose between them. A fight for place began, a struggle for domination, a fierce and incessant contest for supremacy, and for ages men locked arms in a terrible and merciless strife, in which the weak and incompetent steadily went to the wall, the strong, daring, and aggressive rose to power and control. It was the final act in the great drama of natural selection, which had been played upon the stage of the earth since the first appearance of living forms, the last and most ruthless of them all, for the instigating cause was no longer merely the pressure for a share of the food supply, but to this was added the lust for power and place, the hunger for wealth and dominion, the insatiable appetite for autocratic control. Millions upon millions of men were swept away by the sword and by its attendant demons, famine and pestilence, and still the stronger and abler climbed to the top, the weaker and inferior succumbed, and the intellectual evolution of man went on with enhanced rapidity, as the harvest of the sword was gathered in, and the merciless reapers of men swept in successive columns over the earth, each a stage higher in mental ability than the preceding. This phase of human evolution is that of the era of human history. Before its advent, man had no history. It would be as useful to attempt to give the history of the gorilla as of man in the early stages of his progress. History is the record of individuality, and in primitive times equality and communism prevailed, and the individual had not yet separated himself from the mass. Man had settled into the dull inertness of a stagnant pool, and the fierce winds of war were needed to break up his mental slothfulness and stir thought into healthful activity. There must be leaders before there can be history. The annals of mankind begin in hero worship. The relations of superior and inferior need to be established, and the individual action and supremacy are the foundation upon which all history is built. Only by stirring up the deep pool of human life into seething turmoil and unrest could the tendency to stagnation be overcome. The best and most aspiring rising to the top the dull and heavy sinking to the bottom, and the element of thought permeating the whole with its vitalizing spirit. When this stage of evolution is reached, we cease for the first time to deal with species and genera in the mass, and begin to deal with individuals who now emerge from the general group and stand above and apart like great signal posts on the highway of progress. These heroes are not alone those of the sword, they are the leaders in art, in literature, in science, in thought, in every domain. The men who stand above 
supreme and shining, and toward whose elevation the whole mass below surges slowly but strenuously upward. The third phase of human evolution, therefore, is that of the emergence of the individual as the leader, lawgiver, teacher of mankind, each leader forming a goal for the emulation of all below. And this condition is the legitimate outcome of war, which, terrible as it has always been, was the only agency that could rapidly break up the stagnancy of early communism and send man upward in a swirl toward the heights of civilization. To give the history of this phase of evolution would be to give the history of mankind, and would be aside from the purpose of this work. All that need be attempted in support of our argument is to present some general deductions from human history indicating the leading features of the service man has received from war. Conflict between man and man was at first vague and inconsequential. It was only after settled and organized communities based originally on the family relation and held together by possession of property in common had been formed that war became more effective in its results. The chief of these results in the early days were two, breaking up of the old equity of power and possession and the development of larger and more powerful communities. The headman of the village community or the herding clan possessed some delegated authority but no political supremacy over his fellows. Equality existed alike in theory and in fact. Battle between neighboring clans was the first step toward breaking this up. The conquered clan became subordinated to the victorious one and the chief of the victors, as the representative of his clan, exercised an authority over the subject community which he did not possess at home. The degree of subordination differed from the mild form of tribute-paying to that of personal slavery, but in either case we see the old condition of equality vanishing and that of class distinctions and the relation of superior and inferior arising while the power of the chief advances from a delegated authority to an established supremacy. The second outcome of this early phase of war was an increase in the size of political groups. The conquered were forced to aid the conquerors in war as in peace. Clans combined to resist aggression. Minor communities grew into organized tribes. Tribes developed into nations as a result of warlike operations. This growth in political organization was a necessary and inevitable result of continued warfare. The aggressors gathered all the strength possible. The assailed peoples did the same. Temporary alliances grew into permanent ones. Larger armies were formed. Larger communities were organized. National development advanced at a rate tenfold, probably a hundredfold more rapidly than it would have had peaceful conditions persisted. Side by side, with tribal and national consolidation, went on the growth in leadership. The head man became a war chief, the war chief a king. Success made him a hero to his people. He grew to be the lord of conquered tribes. Into his hands fell the bulk of the spoils. The relation of equality of possessions vanished as the plunder taken by the army was distributed unequally among the victors. Below the principal leader came the ablest followers, each claiming and receiving a proportionate share in the new division of power and wealth. 
In short, when the era of war had become fully inaugurated, the old social and political relations of mankind were broken up with great rapidity. Equality of power was replaced by inequality, which steadily grew more and more declared. Equality of wealth in like manner vanished. In all directions the individual emerged from the mass. Class distinctions became intricate, and the relations of rich and poor, of king, noble, citizen, and slave completely replaced the old communal organization of mankind. War was the great agent in this evolution. It might have emerged slowly in peace. It came with almost startling rapidity in war and reached a degree of power on the one hand and subordination on the other that could scarcely ever have appeared had conditions of peace prevailed. With this growth of great nations came a rapid development in political science, in legal institutions, in social relations. An enormous advance was made in a limited period in the civilization of mankind. As a result, not of the devastation and slaughter of war, but of its influence upon human organization, it was the principle of reward for ability to which the leaders of men owed their supremacy. When nations were organized, this same principle took another and very useful form. The distribution of wealth had become strikingly unequal. There were endless grades of distinction between the supremely wealthy and the absolutely poor. The wealthy were ready to lavish their money in return for articles of pleasure and luxury. The poor, in their thirst for a share of the wealth, were strongly stimulated to inventive activity in producing new and desirable wares. Inequality became the mainspring of business activity. Thought and inventive ingenuity were strongly exercised. A rapid progress went on in the production of new devices, new methods, and new articles of necessity and luxury. Manufacture flourished. Commerce increased. Civilization appeared the whole as a legitimate outcome of the conditions brought about by war. This phase of human evolution, as may be seen, was radically different from that already considered arising from the development of sacerdotal influence and priestly power. They work together, no doubt. The establishment of the great primitive empires as a peaceful progress was greatly complicated by war, which tended steadily to increase the temporal power of the ruler and enable him in time to control by the sword alone. But it is interesting to find that long after the old system was practically overthrown, its shadows still lay upon the nations. The powerful war monarchs of Assyria led their armies to conquest in the name of the national deity, whose vicegerents they claimed to be. The autocratic emperors of Rome went so far as to claim in some cases to be gods themselves. Even in modern Russia, some of this dignity pertains to the emperor as the supreme head of the national church. Old ideas are proverbially hard to kill, but the mission of the priesthood by no means stopped here. The priests rose to influence as the teachers as well as the leaders of the people. The members of this class set aside from manual occupations and devoted to thought upon the relations of man to the divine played an important part in the development of the human mind. As a result of their speculative activity of thought, the old religious system sank into the background 
the simple worship of primitive times was overshadowed by intricate mythological systems splendid in worship and creed cosmogonies and philosophies were devised and human thought once fairly set loose in this field went on with great energy and imaginative fervor literature arose as a result of this activity of thought it took at first the form of hymns speculative essays magical formulas dogmas ordinances of worship etc by degrees it grew more secular in form until in the end secular literature arose this was greatly stimulated by the conditions of inequality arising from war in the same manner as the reward for merit in invention stimulated men to activity in the mechanical arts so the hope of reward for literary production stirred up men to the composing of poems histories and other works of thought in both directions physical and mental men were stimulated to the most active exertions by the conditions of inequality in wealth and power and the consequent desire to obtain a share of the money lavished by the rich and the authority similarly lavished by the powerful the broad general view here taken must suffice for our consideration of this phase of human evolution it brings the story of the development of man closely up to the present stage of political and social organizations and relations it may be said in conclusion of this section of our work that the powerful agency of war so active and important in the past has in great part lost its utility in the present and bids fair to be brought to an end before the world is much older it is no longer needed nearly or quite all that it is capable of doing for mankind being accomplished while the equally powerful agency of commerce travel leagues of nations and other conditions of modern origin have taken its place war while yielding many useful results has given rise to others whose utility is questionable and whose ill effects it will take much time and effort to set aside the inequality of power to which war gave rise continues in many parts of the world and the inequality of wealth shows signs of increase instead of diminution once useful they have developed to an injurious extent the result is a state of unrest discontent and more or less active opposition which constitutes a condition of permanent conflict a deep dissatisfaction with existing institutions abnormal to a justly organized society war has become in great measure useless but the scaffolding from which it built up the edifice of civilization remains and stands as a tottering ruin threatening to engulf mankind in its fall ever since the triumph of autocracy in the roman empire the masses of mankind have steadily protested against an inequality that is alien to the natural rights of man for century after century the struggle against undue exercise of power has gone on and the hereditary lords of mankind have lost stage by stage their usurped power until in the modern republic they have been replaced by the servants and chosen agents of the people but the autocracy of wealth still holds its own and is growing more and more formidable and against this wave of opposition is now rising everywhere man is earnestly and sternly demanding an equitable distribution of the productions of nature and art 
what the outcome of this demand will be it is impossible to say it must inevitably lead to some readjustment of the wealth of mankind but only the slow process of social evolution can decide what this shall be we have endeavored in this brief treatise to trace the development of man from his primeval state as a tree-dwelling animal in the depths of the tropic woods through the phases of his later condition as an erect surface dweller his conflict with and dominion over the animal kingdom his subsequent contest with the adverse powers of nature and his final warfare with his fellows and emergence into civilization each of these contests has left its results the first in the forest nomads of the eastern tropics the second in the patriarchal herding tribes of the steppes and deserts the village communities of russia and the paternal empire of china the third in the enlightened nations of europe and america for how long a period this mighty drama of evolution has continued it is impossible to say its first phase must have been of interminable slowness its second while more rapid still very deliberate its third of much greater rapidity yet extending over several thousands of years millions of years have probably passed away since it began yet the period involved is none too long for the magnitude of the results whose greatness can be seen if we contrast man's mental development with that of the lower animals during this period physically the development of man has been inconsiderable much less apparently than that of many other animals mentally it has been enormous the whole of nature's influences in new and often adverse situations have been brought to bear upon man's mind and as the result we have civilized man as contrasted with the anthropoid ape and the end is not yet the era of war in man's development is near its close and a new era of peace under conditions of advanced mental and physical activity seems about to begin its outcome no man can predict but it may far surpass in beneficial results all that has gone before and carry man upward to an extraordinary elevated mental plane End of chapter 11 Recording by Tom Mack